It's good to be here. This marble in my mouth is I'm going to put a cough drop in. Um, first of all, I don't have COVID-19. Um, I have Ardmore virus, and if you don't know what that is, I went to Ardmore, Oklahoma last week for a gospel meeting, and the cedar was crazy down there, and I'm highly allergic. And so I heard a guy who used to put a cough drop in his mouth when he started speaking, and he said when the cough drop runs out, uh, I'm going to speak this morning, and Lord willing, this afternoon, we're going to do a two-part series on the family. As I believe I personally uh, have all the wisdom and knowledge that there is to know about raising a family or guiding a family or leading a family, but I do believe that God's 27, the first part of this verse says, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain that build it. The way we built, we were careful about the foundation. Uh, we never built things flippantly. We never just threw a building up or a structure up. We were always very careful about the way we constructed it. But there's something here about building we need to take into consideration, and that's this. It doesn't matter what the skill or, you know, that's not something we're accustomed to today. In this world, we don't have people sitting at the borders of our city watching for the enemies and seeing whether or not the enemies are coming in. But that was customary for them at that time. These men would have to stay awake. They'd have to be very disciplined in the, the deep hours of the night and make sure that nobody came in and attacked the city. But he says the truth is, it doesn't, we've got lots of problems in our society, uh, the moral decay of society. But I want to ask you, what causes that? Is it really the government? Is it really? Is it really our education system? I hear this in their values and teaching to be good people. It's my job to do that. If my family fails, it's because I failed. Friends, God has to build our home. And if God's not in our home, what are we working toward? What are we laboring toward? Because we can spend money and energy and time and take our kids here and there and train them and educate them. And if we're not letting God build our home, it's all for nothing. And that's what the psalmist is saying. I want to go to Matthew. Getting to be like Franklin now, just sitting the clicker all over the place. House on the rock. The rain descended. The floods came and the wind blew and beat on that house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine, now listen, and does that house and it fell. Now listen, and great was its fall. Is Jesus talking about building a physical house? This isn't a teaching about how to build a house. He's taking something everybody already knows, everyone understands that when you build a foundation, you have to found it upon something that is sturdy, on something that is strong. And Jesus says, in order to do that, to build your home, to build your life, you've got to build it upon the sayings of mine. That's the foundation you need to build your life on. So how do we do that? And it's not rocket science. He makes it real easy. He says, that's the temple, isn't it? Is it? Is it really that simple? Now, I want to just begin by saying a few things about this lesson this morning. And, and I want to uh, say this just from the start. The, the intent of our lesson is not to drudge up bad memories, okay? 
Uh, it's not to drudge up bad memories from your childhood. Uh, it's not to drudge up bad memories about situations turned out because that happens a lot of times. You see uh, kids grow up in a home and they become adults and they go out and they make terrible decisions. Guess what? I was one of those kids and, and I grew up in a good home uh, and it wasn't my parents' fault that all those things happened. It was my fault. Would my dad, if he were here today, say, you know, I wish I could have done some things differently? Yeah, absolutely, because every one of us would say that. That's not the intent of this lesson. It's not to look back at people whose kids have left their home and say, okay, here's what we've got to build. And we've got to do the best that we can do. And we've got to build our house upon the foundation of God. And so today, if I say some things that are hard to hear, this is not intended to be toward people who have already raised a family. But it might be intended toward us, those of us that are still raising a family. And they are hard to hear. So please take that in that mindset. Uh, if it drudges up bad memories, I'm sorry. That's not the intent. It may do that. God's Word. God's Word is, is not just guidelines. Um, it's not just a book of knowledge and wisdom. God's Word is very personal. And, you know, the book of Hebrews chapter 4 tells us that God's Word penetrates like a very sharp two-edged sword. And it pierces to the deepest part of man, to his thoughts, to his intents. Uh, and, and, you know, when you look into God's Word, it doesn't always do that. For if any man, anyone, is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, it is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. This isn't a very complicated teaching, but I want to take these two men that he talks about and set them side by side. And if you'll notice, he's, he begins by painting this contrast and he says that there's a man who is blessed. And if anyone is a hearer but not a doer, he deceives himself. In what way? And, and what's the difference really between that? Well, you say you've already identified that, hears and does. Well, there's another difference. See, James gets a little deeper than that. And I'll tell you, let's look at their similarities for just a moment. Both of them looked into the same mirror. They were no different there. They both looked. And here's the thing about building a house. People failed to do that. They both looked in the mirror. The difference is what they did with the information that the mirror provided. One of these people, he says, abided. Abided in what? In looking in the mirror. He continued to look in the mirror to see what the mirror was telling him. And then he did what he was supposed to do in accordance but the other guy is the one I want to look at for just a moment because he says, this is a person who hears and does not. And here's why. He looked in the mirror and he forgot. And why did he forget? Because he went away. Now, just looking around the room, I'm going to make an assumption. Everyone here has a mirror. I'll tell you why I make that assumption. Uh, because I don't see anybody that looks like they don't have a mirror. You say, well, that's kind of funny. Well, I, I mean, it's true, right? It, you, you've probably heard somebody say that. Does that guy not own a mirror? <laughs> you know, my wife sometimes is my mirror, okay? I say, how's this look? We, we use a mirror every day, don't we? 
And sometimes a mirror gives us information that's new. I'll tell you something that's new for me. This it's going on right here. It's a little new. My hairline is starting to go backwards a little bit. That's new. Uh, somebody took a picture of me last year from behind, and I saw this little stuff going on up here, and I kind of panicked. I was like, honey, am I going bald? She said, no, you're just getting blonde. Uh, I take her word for that because I can't see back there. <laughs> but You know, you look in a mirror, you notice things. And the foolish thing is to see something new and to go, eh, who cares? And just go away. We'll just forget about it. What if you get a spot that comes up on your face? You know, one of those spots that's brown and looks like it's got some texture to it. Do you just look at that and go, no, who cares? And just walk away and forget about it? We don't do that. It's concerning. And here's the thing. We look into God's Word. It's a mirror. It provides information. A lot of times that information is very negative. It's rebuking. It's convicting. Don't forget what you saw. Let's look in the mirror. Let's be honest. And let's not go away. Let's not leave. Let's continue to look in the mirror. And let's put our homes in that mirror this morning. Backing up just a little bit uh, in the book of James, this gives us kind of the context of what James was getting at when he makes this statement about hearing and doing the word and continuing and abiding. He says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Here's another contrast he paints between a person who hears God's word and receives it with meekness, and it's able to change him, it's able to save his soul. But then there's this other person he talks about who is not swift to hear, but swift to speak. That is, he hears God's word and he comes up with a rebuttal. In fact, he goes even further, he says, this man actually gets angry at the hearing of God's word, and he says this right here, the wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. Have you ever looked in the mirror and got mad? I was a little mad <laughs> at this that's going on, because everybody always told me, you're going to get that from your mother's side of the family. Well, my Uncle Sammy, y'all, some of y'all knew him, died at 45 years old, he had a full head of hair. Well, my granddad, Coy Potter, died at 80-something years old, he had a full head of hair. And so I thought, well, this isn't fair. <laughs> Why is my hair receding? Sometimes we look in the mirror, we get upset at what we see, and that's not untrue with God's Word, too. A lot of people look in the mirror and it, they hear something they don't like, and they get mad about it. And I just want to bring this verse to our attention to say this. Now I'm chewing the cough drop. Make it faster. If you look in the mirror this morning and it makes you mad, well, don't let that anger just sit there and rest and settle. Think on it. Because just getting mad may cause you to go away and forget what manner of man you are. Think on it. Consider it. Because leaving in anger, one thing it will not do for you is produce righteousness. It's not going to help. It's not going to change our family. It's not going to make our family better. And I want my family to be better, don't you? That's what I want. So let's get into the content of our lesson. Psalm chapter 127, verse 3 from our reading this morning. One of the things that he says in regard to building a house. How do we know he's not talking about physical houses? Because he doesn't talk about physical houses. He's talking about the family. And he says this. Behold, children are an heritage from the Lord. 
The fruit of the womb is a reward. How does that help us? I'll tell you how this helps us. Moms and dads, your children are a gift from God. And I hope you know that. Because I'll tell you, to a lot of people, children are an inconvenience and an annoyance. I have times like that. My children are the greatest blessing of my life. No, my wife's not offended by me saying that. She would agree. They're the greatest blessing that I've experienced in this world. I'll tell you something else they are, though. They're the greatest challenge that I've ever faced in my life. I thought I had faced some challenges. Raising kids is hard. And not only has God given us these children as a blessing in our lives, he's also given them to us. And now we're responsible for their life. They're ours. They're not somebody else's. They're my kids. They're your kids. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. You ever seen a kid that's discouraged? I'm not talking about a kid that gets discouraged. I'm talking about a kid that is discouraged. You can tell by looking at them. The way they walk. The way they talk. The way that they refuse to look you in the eye when they communicate with you. It's not always this case, but let's look in the mirror this morning and let's ask a question. If our kids are discouraged, is it our fault? Maybe it's not. Lord, I hope it's not. But it could be. Because listen to what he says. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. We have to at least entertain the possibility that maybe we've discouraged our children. Maybe the way we talk to our children has caused them to be discouraged. Maybe we've said things to their hearing that has caused them to live and be discouraged. Maybe we are the reason why their emotional state is the way that it is. We're responsible for that. And I'll tell you what that does. That scares me. But it also makes me aware of something. It's not okay to treat our kids how we want because they're ours. It's not okay. It's not okay for me to just say anything that I want to my kids regardless of the consequences. You say things to your kids, they'll believe it. You call your kids stupid, I'm sorry if you don't allow your kids to say that. That's probably a good thing. But if you call your kids stupid, guess what they're going to think they are? Stupid. You don't think kids are that gullible. (laughs) Sure we are. I believed all kinds of things my parents told me. Until I got old enough to believe what I thought of my own. I still believe some of the stuff they told me. I just told you, we always built houses the right way. I know that because my grandpa told me we were building it the right way. My dad did. Somebody told me I wasn't actually doing all the things the right way one time. I didn't believe that guy. I believe what my parents told me. Because we trust them. 
Listen, your kids trust you and they trust your judgment and they trust your perception and your opinion of them. And be very careful about how you treat them and the attitude that you treat them with and what you say to them because they believe it. Back to our reading from Psalms 127 and now verse 4, he says, Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Now, I'm going to get a little bit uh, nerdy on bow hunting for a minute, so just bear with me. If you care nothing about bow hunting, just bear with me for just a moment, okay? Um, I got really into bow hunting several years ago. I think it was about 2013 or 14, and... Uh, and uh, my wife would already tell you I'm, I'm one of my greatest strengths and weaknesses is that I overanalyze everything. It, it just is what it is. Um, I would both buy these uh, arrows in packets of six, and I always bought the same ones. I bought gold tips. And uh, I get these arrows in, and sometimes they're pre-cut for length. Most of the time they weren't, and so the first thing I have to do is cut these arrows all, all off at the right length and then put inserts in them and glue them, and then I go out and put field tips in them and shoot them at a target and test them. And the reason I would test the arrows is because the thing is, even though they're made by the same manufacturer and they all got the same fletchings on them, and we'll talk about the fletchings are these little feathers if you don't know what that means. Um, and the thing is, it doesn't matter that they all came together, they don't all shoot the same. And so every now and again, I'd take uh, an arrow out of the six and I'd set it aside because it just didn't shoot right for some reason. And so I'd look at it. Well, after a while, I started thinking, well, I'm spending money on these arrows. I'm going to figure out why this one doesn't shoot right. Again, overanalyzing everything. Most guys just throw it in the trash if it don't work right. So I figured something out about arrows. <coughs> Most of them are exactly uh, alike in the way they shoot. Because they're, they're all made of carbon now, so they're manufactured by machine. But every now and again, you get one that doesn't shoot the same. And so I got to look at them. Sometimes it's because the fletchings are just a little off. So I thought, well, that's an easy fix. You just cut the fletchings off, put new fletchings on it. Well, I did that and still shoot crazy. So I thought, well, what in the world's wrong with this arrow? Well, then I got to looking at it, and it had a little bit of curve to it. And I thought, well, it's just defective. But then I thought, hmm, I wonder what I can do with this. So, so here's what I did. I marked the fletchings, put one, two, and three on it. And then I'd put it in the bow, and I'd point one of the, one, the one fletching up, and I'd shoot it five or six times and say, okay, it's hitting to the left. Well, then I'd turn it the other way and shoot it again five or six times. I'd go, okay, well, if I put it in that way, it shoots low. Well, guess what I could do by doing that? I could figure out how to take this arrow that was defective and make it consistent by looking at the number on the fletch. You say, wow, you're way too, I, I get it. But here's something that that taught me about shooting arrows. Kids are like arrows in the hand of a warrior. And what do you do with those arrows? You put them in your bow, and you pull back the string, and you aim, and you set the target, and you let it go. And the, here's the thing about kids. Kids are like arrows. They're not all the same. They don't all shoot the same. And sometimes you have to test them a little bit and find out which way you need to turn them to, before you even knock it in the, in the string and pull back the string before you let the arrow fly. And here's the thing about kids. You've got to know your kids. You say, well, of course I know my kids. No, I mean, you've got to get to know your kids. You've got to know how they learn 
how they process thought so you can put them in the bow the right way. That way when you let go, it hits its target. You can't just parent every kid exactly the same way. My kids are all very, very different. Very different. And I tried to parent Kennedy the same way that I parented Van, and I realized really quick, I can't parent her like him. You know why? Because she wasn't scared of me. And then I realized she doesn't even have to be scared of me. Because she's one of those arrows you put in the bow, you let go, and it just flies the way you want it to fly. Then Olivia came along. And I tell you what I'm still doing, cutting the fletchings off and putting them back on and numbering the fletchings. We haven't quite figured that one out yet. But we're getting there. Kids are different. We got to know our kids. But, but here's the thing. <coughs> if you don't train your child, somebody will. Somebody will. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. You know, we use this in a positive way at times by saying, if we'll train our child to serve God, when he's old, he'll serve God. Certainly, that's hopefully true, okay? Uh, that wasn't the intent of the proverb necessarily, to make this mathematical statement that says, if you train your kids, they'll never become apostate or leave God. That has happened before. Uh, but that's the point of the proverb, train your kids. But you know the opposite is true. If you train your child in a different way, when they are old, they will not depart from it. And I think that just should wake us up a little bit about training in general, that we've got to train our kids, but we've got to train them in the right way because what we're doing is we're setting the course for the rest of their life. We're letting go of the arrow and it's flying its course. And once it's flying out there, you know what you can do with that arrow? Just watch it. That's it. You just watch and wait in anticipation and go, oh, it's its target. Proverbs 19, 18 says this, Chasing your son, listen, while there is hope. You know what that tells us? There's going to come a time when there is no hope because they're out of our hands. We have 18 years, give or take, plus or minus, 18 years to be the other voice in our kid's ear. You say, why'd you say the other voice? Because there's always another voice in the other one. 18 years. To discipline our children, to give them structure, to set them on the right course. Proverbs twenty two fifteen says, Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. The rod of correction will drive it far from them. It's not my intent to talk about spanking your kids this morning. Do I believe the Bible teaches that we should spank our kids? Yes, I do. That's not my intention, though, this morning. What I want you to see from this passage is this. Children are foolish. Right? Well, not my kids. Every child is foolish. And, you know, people just sit back and they watch their kids. They go, well, I hope they grow out of this. Well, they will. But see, God says, here's a way to speed up the process. Discipline your children 
Don't make excuses. Don't just watch them and go, well, you know, kids will be kids. I'll tell you what I experienced. I grew up in these folks' home right here until I was 10. And uh, I did a lot of time in the corner. Uh, my grandmother used to spank me quite a bit. She had this little thin belt that hung right by the key rack. And when I'd get out of hand, or I'd be dishonest, or I'd do something and, and, and be dishonest, <laughs> she would take that belt and she'd whoop me. And after a while, she realized that this is not hurting him. And uh, I'm one of those ADHD kids that has a lot of trouble paying attention. Well, she realized something. The corner is a very effective way to discipline. And she'd go make me stand in the corner. And you know what I figured out? I figured out exactly how far apart all the little lines and the paneling on the wall were because that's what I did for entertainment in the corner was sit there and measure it with my hands. I'd rather you pull my teeth than put me in the corner. Well, what's the point? I'll tell you the point is she's looking at a connection here. This boy is foolish. He needs discipline. Not every kid's the same. Not every arrow shoots the same way. Sometimes you've got to get creative with discipline. Spanking may work with one kid. It may not work as well with another. But whatever the case, get involved in disciplining and structuring your kids. Because foolishness is not sitting on their shoulder and you just tap them and it falls off. It's bound in their heart and it needs to be driven out. And that, my friends, takes work and effort and it takes steadfastness. Don't give up, okay? I'll tell you, there were times I wanted to give up. Just throw my hands up and go. This ain't working. Get back in there and keep working. It works. If we do it God's way, it works. I want to think about a target for just a moment. and Because uh, not only the way we put our kids in the bow is important, but, but I want to ask a different question today. What are you aiming your children at? And that's a hard question. Because I think to raise a child, uh, we all understand that you have to aim your kids at different things. You have to get them to engage in a lot of different things, in learning. But you know, there's something about shooting a bow that I want us to think about, and that's this. The, the more strength that you put into it, the more effort and energy that you put into pulling back the string, when you let go, it flies faster and faster. So if you today were to look at your kids and you were to look at all these targets that we set up around us, which one are you shooting toward the most? And why is that important? And I'm going to take you on a mental detour for just a second. Because <coughs> I want to talk about how you aim a child. Uh, because it's not just behavior that, that we're responsible for. You know, I think a lot of parents... We miss that at times. We think, well, I just need to, if my kids stay out of jail, then I've been successful. I've heard that from people a lot of times. How's your kids doing? Well, they haven't been to jail yet. Well, that's kind of a low bar, okay? Uh, there's not a high percentage of, of our society that's in jail, okay? So that's, that's a low bar. But what, what are we aiming them at? Proverbs 4.23 says this, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. You know what's going to determine whether or not our kids grow up and are good people 
and serve God? They're right there. That's what's going to do it. You've got to reach their heart, not just their behavior. You know, you can train anything to have good behavior with the right amount of discipline. This one's a little trickier. The heart's tricky. You know why the heart's tricky? Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now, uh, I told you, <laughs> it's hard to look in the mirror. It is for me. What does this tell us about our parenting? Whatever it is that we spend the most time and effort and energy in, that's the target. That's where we're pulling back the most. That's where the arrow is headed. Whatever we teach our kids to value the most, whatever they see in our lives is the top priority. That's where they're headed. Where are they headed? You look in your mirror and I'll look in mine. Where are we pointing our children? Because as, as we said earlier, one of these days we're going to let go of the arrow. And it's out of our hands. And their heart is going to take them wherever their heart has been trained to take them. Mark chapter 12, verse 30 says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the reason I bring this verse up is to say this about love. We often make comments about love and we say, Well, love is not a feeling. Love is action. Well, okay, that's kind of like saying a, a rectangle is not a square. Sometimes a rectangle is a square. It's not always a square. But here's the thing about love. Love may not always be a feeling, it may not just be a feeling, but let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater, okay, and say love is not a feeling. Jesus said you need to love God with all of your heart, and that word is the Greek word cardia, which means your affections. You know what he's saying? You need to love God with your feelings. That's a part of our kids we engage when we try to train their heart is their feelings and their emotions. You know, another thing that we have to think about when we train our kids and teach them to love with their heart is how to love God with their actions. How to serve God. You know where they see that? Right here. With dad. With mom. You can preach it to your kids all day long and tell them that something's important, but you know what they're going to believe is important? Not what you say, but what you do. I always hate to hear parents say, do as I say, not as I do. Because I've been one of those parents. I told Van that several times when he was little. And then I, it hit me one day, he's doing what I do. <laughs> I got that. He's doing what I do. When he hit another kid, you know what I did? I went, we don't hit. Well, you just did. So apparently we do. They do what we do. If we don't love God, 
They're not going to love God. If we don't serve others, they're not going to serve others. They're learning what we learn. Listen to what Jesus said in Luke chapter 6. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. Who's the greatest influencer and teacher in our children's lives? It's you, isn't it? It's their parents. It's their grandparents. And Jesus is just making a general statement about discipleship here that whoever the disciples following, that's who he's going to be like. When Van was about six years old, <coughs> I taught this kid uh, about anything that I could teach him. And I'll tell you, uh, you, whether you believe it or not, he is a very teachable child. Uh, his mother might shake her head a little bit, but he is. He's a very teachable child. Uh, he listens when you try to teach him something, especially if it's something he's interested in. Uh, he's been shooting a firearm since he was seven, uh, and he's very good at it because we started doing gun safety at seven years old, and he was all over the place all the time, just hyper, couldn't pay attention to anything, and all of a sudden I'd put a pistol in his hand, and he was calm, and he was focused, and he was listening. And uh, so it helped me to know how to shape this arrow. And so we tested the waters. And so I taught him to throw a football. He's good at that. And uh, when he was eight years old, I'd have him running, running passing routes out 45 yards and throwing a bullet all the way down the street. And he was catching it with two hands just in mid-stride. He was just good at that. Uh, then we started playing baseball. And... Uh, he was good at baseball, learned how to pitch, uh, could throw better than a lot of the kids. Um, basketball was his thing. He was really good at basketball. And uh, you say, well, you sure are bragging on your kid a lot? Yeah, I am, a little bit. Um, but here's the thing. What I didn't tell you is this. When he got home from school, guess where we went? Out to the front yard. And we either had a football, a basketball, or a baseball in our hands for several hours of the day. Ask my wife. It probably drove her crazy. Hours of the day. Training. Working on technique. Looking at mistakes we've made and trying to do it over and over and over again. And guess where daddy was? He was the president of the Little League and my wife was doing most of the work in that. <laughs> and I was coaching baseball and coaching football and coaching basketball. You know what I wasn't teaching my son? How to be spiritual. You know what I was doing? I was pulling back that bow, and I had it turned just the right way and was shooting him toward the wrong target. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not demonizing sports at all. I love sports. Still do. What I'm saying is, don't get so focused in on something they're good at that you lose sight of what's important. Because the truth is, my son has a very, 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 very small chance of ever being a professional athlete. But he has a 100% chance of standing before Jesus Christ one day. He will do that. I can't tell you the families that grieve. When I go hold meetings 
nearly every single time somebody comes up and says, while you're here, can you please go talk to my kids? And their kids are 30 or 40 years old. I'll say, what's going on with your kids? They say, well, they don't ever come to church. They party on the weekends. They said they've just lost course. And again, it's not my intent to drudge up past mistakes. But here's the thing. Some of these families I know. And when church was going on, you know where they were? They're at the baseball field. When the church was having activities, they were taking them off to some dance recital somewhere. You know what their kids did? The same thing. Again, I'm not villainizing those things. I'm not demonizing those things. Those things are fine and they have their place. And it's good for our kids to be engaged in what they're good at. But don't get so focused on the worldly that we lose the spiritual. That's the point. Because whatever their heart thinks is important, Jesus says this. Wherever their treasure is, there will their heart be also. That's how we aim the arrow. You fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. You know, I always read this passage and I thought, this is a really strange passage. It just doesn't seem like the first part of it fits the second part. But then I realized something one day. You know what my greatest failure as a father is? Is spanking my child because I was mad. That's my greatest failure. I'm not saying you can't be mad. <laughs> you're probably always going to be mad. But spanking your child because you're mad is different from training a child. You know, I had a, a lady come up to me one time. I was in Houston, and uh, we had studied that night on discipline, on what the Bible says about discipline. And uh, she was very emotionally attached to the idea of spanking. And she said, uh, I, I know what the Bible says, but I just don't think you should ever spank your child. And I said, well, tell me about that. She says, my mother used to chase me down the hall with a belt, swinging it wildly and hitting wherever she could. Listen, that's not what the Bible's talking about when it talks about disciplining. That's abuse is what that is. And I'll tell you, it's really no different. Swinging wildly is if you're swinging with a really good aim and you're doing it for no other reason than you just finally lost your patience and hit your child out of your anger. That's very different than discipline and training. This is about training, about learning. Discipline is about learning. It's not about us satisfying our need to hit our children. And what does that do? It makes them angry. It makes them confused. And I'll tell you, if your kids obey you and it's no other reason than they're scared of you that you're going to abuse them if they don't, we're not winning. We're not winning. Because what we want them to do is learn from discipline. We want their heart to learn from discipline. We want their character to be shaped because of discipline. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 6. These words which I command you today shall be in your heart. 
I want you to look at something that God said to the people of Israel about their relationship with their kids as it relates to his word. God said, you shall teach them diligently to your children. That word diligently means with haste, with urgency. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And you walk by the way when you lie down and when you rise up. You know, if we just took that phrase and we summarize it, you know what he's saying? All the time. All the time. That's when you need to talk with your kids about my word. All the time. Because there's never a time when I'm not either lying down, getting up, sitting or walking or standing. I mean, all the time. And then he says this, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand that they shall be frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, they're not here today, just Savannah's here, and I'm not going to pick on Savannah. Um, but when we built Kelly and Franklin's, we built, when, when they were building Kelly and Franklin's home and they just had the framing up, we actually literally did this, and it was fun. Uh, we walked around to every room, and Franklin gave us a marker, and we were writing our favorite scriptures uh, all over the house. But you know what they did? They come put sheetrock over all those. You can't see them now. They're still there, but you can't see them. You think that's what he had in mind for the children of Israel is that they're going to take a marker and walk around their house and write scriptures all over the place? What's he saying? You should write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. He's saying, my word needs to exist within your home in every place, whether you're leaving, whether you're coming. My word needs to be there. And that's how you build your house with God as the architect. It's not guided by some secular psychology book out there somewhere. It's guided by God's word. And I want to leave you with one last passage today. Uh, if you'd like, you can go ahead and get out your songbooks. <coughs> In the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon began to talk about building a home. And in this particular verse, he talks about a home that's already built. And he says this. Because of laziness, the building decays. And through idleness of hands, the house leaks. You know why a house leaks? Do you? You know, uh, maybe it's just a, a pet peeve that my dad drove into my heart. But, but there's things about a home that if I see them, it drives me crazy. And uh, my wife is probably sitting in her pew going, right now going, well, why haven't you fixed the fascia on the back of our house? Because it's got some dry rot in it right now. Um, but a house leaking you know what's not your greatest concern? That something's going to get wet. That's actually not your greatest concern. Because you can fix that. You can go fix the leak. Your greatest concern is that it keeps leaking. Because dry, wet, dry, wet, dry, wet turns into rot. And in our part of the world, 
what happens is once that moisture gets into the dirt and that dirt is next to wood, it brings these little nasty vermin called termites. And when there's leaks, there's usually termites. And where there's termites, there's something that's inside of your home that's poison, that's eating away at the structure of your home, and that's why the house falls. But you know what else causes houses to fall? Not looking at the warning signs. If you ever go and look at a house, get an inspection done. I I don't care what it costs you. Find somebody that will inspect your home and have them inspect your home. You need an inspection. and Because a lot of people don't know what to look for. People are worried about the color of the paint and the color of the carpet. That stuff doesn't matter. Okay, that, That's the last thing that should be on your mind when you buy a home. But there are things that really matter about a house. And I'll tell you, one of the things is if you can walk through every room and there's cracks above all the windows and none of the doors will open or shut, you've got problems with the foundation somewhere. But you know what people do? They look at those cracks and they go, we can fix that. We'll just rub a little bit of caulking in there or something like that and fix the cracks. You know what they don't do? Get under the house and see where the problem is. And so they just cover up the cracks. You say, I don't need a lesson on homes. I know you don't need a lesson on homes. But I'll tell you what we do need is we need to be thinking about our family and whether or not we're just fixing the cracks Instead of getting under the house and seeing if maybe we've got a pier that's dropping out. Because then you've got a huge problem. Friends, if some of the things we've talked about have been hard to hear, uh, I'm not going to apologize for that. Because what we need to do is look in the mirror. And we don't need to look into a foggy mirror. We need to see the clear picture of where we're at. And today, we offer the opportunity to be touched by Jesus Christ. Every time we have a service, we offer the invitation because we understand that Jesus Christ changes lives. Jesus Christ heals. And if you have a need this morning, we want to help you address that need. So please come have a seat, and we will help you as we stand and we sing.